Welcome to the Work That Matters podcast by Ikigai Coffee. My name is Jeroen Brechtman, I'm your host, talking to the people behind the work that matters. If you want to find out more about this episode or any other episodes, please visit www.ikigai.coffee and I hope to see you there. Welcome to another episode of the Work That Matters podcast by Ikigai Coffee. My name is Jeroen Brugman. I'm your host and I'm talking to the people behind the Work That Matters. And on this episode, I'm talking to Maarten van Keulen or Maarten van Keulen. He's my Dutch friend and Maarten uh, has a Bachelor in Development Studies, um, a major in Human Geography, Um, a Master of Science in um, Business and Innovation of the uh, studied at the University of Utrecht. He's currently the Head of Operations at This Side Up Coffee Imports, uh, my favorite coffee importer, and the founder of the Circular Coffee Collective. And we're going to take a deep dive into, into his mind, into his projects, into his, um, his view on what the circularity exactly, actually is. So welcome to this show, Marte. Thank you very much. And that's quite an introduction. So, uh, Marta, uh, how, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Life is busy. Corona times uh, have been interesting for, for a lot of people in our industry, I guess. And, and I think for us, it's, it's been very interesting in a lot of positive ways. So it's exciting. In, uh, in what way is it interesting for you right now? Well, I think like I have a little theory of like we we see like that the sales are improving and that it's actually we're doing better than before Corona times. And I've been like thinking like, why is this happening? And one of my theories is that people have had a lot of time to think about like, what is what am I actually buying and, and are my choices sustainable? And when you dive a little bit into it, you actually find out that if you basically pay almost the same, you can have something that is actually good for the planet and its people. And mm-hmm. we see like this shift happening and that's been very positive for us and also like very positive for the coffee farmers we work with and all the projects we're running. So it's been very exciting. Yeah, that's nice because um, uh, the thing you just explained, it's interesting, of course, for, for you, but also the, the project you uh, are running. Uh, you're the head of operations at This Side Up. Uh, that's uh, yeah, kind of how we met uh, in the beginning. Uh, so can you explain what um, what This Side Up actually does? Well, I think like officially we're a coffee importer, um, but that's a little bit too short to say. Basically what we try to do and what we actually are doing is we are connecting coffee farmers directly to the end client. And often those are coffee roasters, but more and more these are also like the end clients. Uh, like recently, like the Dutch government is also now an end client. And what we do is then we connect these people directly to the farmers and they start to talk and they know everything about the price breakdown, what we pay, what we earn, uh, who's involved in the value chain. Um, Because of this, because we know the farmer and we pay uh, what we would say, we pay a normal price because we talk to the farmers as equal entrepreneurs and just discuss with them. It's like, hey, what is the worth of your coffee? What What do you like to have? for a kg of coffee or a pound of coffee. And when you have this direct connection and this friendship and this equal partnership, you can talk about a lot of different things like quality improvement, but also like reforestation or other kinds of of amazing projects. 
Um, so yes, we are a coffee importer, but more we are like a social enterprise that really tries to make a blueprint of how a coffee industry can also look instead of like a cold auction and you don't know who's involved and poor prices and deforestation and yeah, you name it. Yeah, kind of like uh, the traditional way of trading, but you, um, well, although this side up is uh, doing it in a new way, a radical transparent way in which there's no brick walls um, and everything is open. Exactly. And I think yeah. like if you show everything what you have and you're proud of the way you're doing business, you might as well show everything and give other people the tools to check you. And when you do that, you don't need like a third party certification. You don't need other people. You really like give the tools to everyone to check everyone. We collaborated uh, last year uh, at this side up. And as I mentioned before, that is uh, where we uh, first met. Um, I believe it actually was in Utrecht where we first met. Yes. Um, I am so I am so captured by the by the philosophy. It makes it makes sense. It's uh, it, it feels natural. It's um, it's a way of trading that more people, more companies should uh, implement. And to be honest, I think uh, with the whole fast-moving innovations and technology, it's where the future lies. Everything is eventually going to be completely transparent. And it's about like humanizing coffee trade again. It's like not yeah. numbers in Excel and not like auction prices going up and down. It's about like trading with human beings and talking to them and, and making business together and making sure that everyone earns a fair bit uh, in the chain and that nobody really takes control of the other person. But it's like, I think after so many years, we've really got accustomed to like this, this dehumanized way of trading. And if you just bring, bring a little bit the, the, the soul and the love and the connection back, like really a lot can happen. Yeah. yeah people are more, uh, the, the chain has become longer and longer uh, and has been uh, indulged with uh, more and more anonymity. And I think people um, are not really conscious anymore about what they're drinking. Uh, about what the product coffee uh, encompasses, where it comes from, uh, who is producing it. And people are getting uh, connected perhaps too much to just the product instead of the, the story behind it. Exactly. Like people get really like connected to a brand and an image and a taste. And yeah. like we really try to engage them, like ask these questions. It's like, where does it come from? Who produced it? What are the flavor profiles? Why does it taste different? What have they done to it? And how can we improve it? Um, and how do they treat their people? And how do they treat their planet? You know? Yeah, you could talk more about uh, uh, adding value instead of uh, <laughs> taking uh, taking away uh, value. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm uh, kind of uh, promoting uh, this side up uh, as well <laughs> because it's just uh, the way uh, I, I know you guys. You guys are friends. Uh, I like uh, the business model. Uh, I like the the coffees. I like the the transparency. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. But uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> So uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of um, uh, you're talking about uh, adding value, what is um, the recent project, most recent project, uh, where you have where you see the most uh, value being added? 
Um, I think the project we're most proud of at this moment is that since the 1st of September, we're now supplying the Ministry of Infrastructure in the Netherlands. It's nice. It has 8,000 people working for them, all government officials. And up until very, very recent, um, this was like the domain of the big coffee companies that really like were pushing on price. And it's like the cheaper, yeah. the better. And it's like basically it was considered as a cost and it just needed to be brown water. And now as a result of a lot of basically lobbying and talking and explaining how the coffee world really looks and that like a blend of coffee is not like a secret recipe, but it's something that you can trace down and you can really talk to the farmers. Uh, we've shown like the, this first government agency, like what is possible. And they have applied this in their public tender. And we're extremely proud that we won it. And we're working now with three uh, corporations or cooperatives uh, in Indonesia, Ethiopia and Rwanda. Nice. And because this is a government contract, it lasts for eight years. So it gives like stability to this entire value chain. And like for, for example, for the Rwandan cooperative, it's a doubling of what we used to buy. So it's like double the amount that we pay more for. So it's double the amount of farmers that live a better life. So this, these impacts, especially with the stability of eight years, is like an amazing uh, victory that we're extremely proud of. And, and also like that we can show the world like it can look differently. And even a government uh, agency that's always looking at costs can do this. Yeah. Yeah, the government um, uh, actually carries a, a great responsibility in uh, in their purchase yeah, stra strategy or purchase uh, behavior uh, in terms of uh, where products come from. And if they buy products that, uh, that are affected by, uh, let's call it by the name, uh, modern <laughs> slavery, then that is uh, not a very <laughs> responsible thing to do. No, and they, they always have like, uh, they always stimulate businesses to do better. Yeah. Then they also have to keep their own house clean, so to say. You know, they have to lead yeah. by example. And I'm very happy and also proud that they're doing that. Yeah. So in terms of uh, connecting, uh, so you connected uh, the, the Dutch government, uh, uh, part of the Dutch government. How, how did you say it, it, it was in English? The Ministry of Infrastructure. The Ministry of Infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, so you are connecting them directly to three cooperatives. Yeah. Um, and how easy is that and how scalable is that? I think it's actually surprisingly easy. And, and I think like that's like what the classic coffee companies always pretend. That is very difficult. And I can also imagine like for them, it's very difficult because they buy off the auction and they always buy for like bottom prices. And it's like, I can imagine that when like their uh, purchases go to the plantations that they're not being received with open arms. Um, but like with our model working on friendship and equal entrepreneurship, it's it's very easy to just say like, hey, these are the people, this is their phone number, um, this is their bookkeeping, and if you don't believe me, call them, you know, they know who I am, they know what we pay. Um, and for this contract, we asked them like, hey, this is going to be the quantities, can you produce this? Yeah. Uh, and they said yes, and that was they were extremely happy with this. And, and funny enough, it's also, and I'm also very happy with this, like the government had a minimum price. 
And we were talking about with this uh, cooperative from Rwanda and we're saying like, hey, this is uh, like we want to have this type of coffee, this quality of coffee. It's like a lower high specialty coffee. So like yeah. SEA skills are like 81, 82 points. Yeah. Um, and they said, oh, we can sell it for this price. And that actually was too low uh, for what the government said that the minimum price was. So we came back to them and said, okay, we're going to pay you more. Uh, Perfect. Um, yeah. That reaction was very, very cool to see. Yeah, that, that is remarkable. You, you have a higher budget and you reward farmers um, even more. I don't really think it's like it's rewarding. It's more like remunerating for the effort they put in. Yeah. It's like, I think like in the coffee industry, we've kind of forgotten how important the work of the farmer is. You know, it's like without the farmer doing a proper job, yeah. what should we do? The rest of us, you know, exporters, importers, roasters, machine operators, uh, salespeople, we have nothing to do if the farmer doesn't do their job. Yeah. So it's like, it's very normal that you pay. It's the literally price. the seed uh, of where the coffee comes from. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's like they should have like a good price and that's that's what we talk about and and it's also like of course like the the, the economy in rwanda works differently than in, in the netherlands or the united states but it's like when you really like negotiate as equal entrepreneurs and and just as i mentioned in rwanda um you say like hey this is what we need what can you offer and you really start to negotiate not even the right word just talk about how this is possible and and what a good price for everyone would be yeah then you end up with everyone being happy yeah so you quantify everything uh, you look at the numbers um and then you start looking at the, at the value being added and uh, yeah and it's uh, it's nice. Uh, so in uh, Rwanda, I believe there's also some other projects uh, going on there. So you um, uh, first of all, uh, this setup uh, has the the cost of production covered uh, uh, as a standard. There's the living income that uh, that you look at, uh, which um, uh, is kind of difficult and kind of blurry to uh, to determine. And then there's the the additives uh, on quality, on story, on uh, other value points. And in Rwanda, there's also a value point of um, um, regenerative agroforestry that a, a premium is being paid uh, for uh, to uh, to improve the, the the biodiversity of the land. Can you can you tell me something about that? For sure. So, yeah, and is that also, and is that also uh, it's the same cooperative as the the Dutch government uh, gets Absolutely. the coffee from, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the the Abukundakawa Cooperative yeah. in Rwanda. And last year we started a demo plot, so a demonstration plot of 11 hectares of starting what is called an agroforestry system. So it's like, so if you look at it from an agricultural perspective, you have monoculture where you just have like lines of coffee yeah. and nothing else. So it's pretty like the, the soil is very degraded, very poor. And then you start intercropping, which you see a lot in East Africa, like one row bananas and one row of coffee agroforestry takes it a step further so when you would fly over a agroforestry farm or plantation you don't really see it's a farm it, it looks like a forest so what you do is you try to look at like which plants are uh, valuable for each other 
and like for example coffee grows better in the shade so which shade trees do you add and for example what kind of uh, nutrition do they give back to the soil and that nutrition might be beneficial for the coffee so you help the system as a result you get uh, more birds back for example and these yeah. birds eat more insects and that leads to that you need less pesticides so you're basically mimicking a rainforest system, but then in a productive way. And now in Rwanda, we've done, we've started with planting this for 11 hectares, and we do this together with a uh, with MVO, which you talked to with Mijn van der Graaf. Yeah. Um, for one of was in the last episode, yeah. For anyone interested in, uh, in Meine van der Graaf, uh, check out the last episode. Exactly. And basically also to show farmers, um, like in, in a few years, like what's possible and that this actually works. Because also like with farmers in the Netherlands or Western Europe or wherever you are, it's constantly you hear the, the, the answer like, oh no, but this is how my father and my grandfather used to farm. So why would I change it? So a demonstration plot to show that it's different and that it works um, has a very good purpose. Yeah. And is it uh, easily scalable, the demo plot? It is, it is. Um, this demo plot is owned by the cooperative and how a cooperative often works is that everyone owns their own plot of land, let's say two or five hectares in Rwanda. Um, so you cannot really do much there because that's that's private land. Uh, but what you can do is inspire them and teach them. And that's what this demo plot is for. So basically what we try to do is that they get so inspired that they start copying and mimicking these kind of things. And with the premium we pay extra, uh, we, they can buy, for example, these small trees, uh, which they can use for this system. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, it's uh, moving uh, upwards instead of uh, yeah, downwards, like scraping stuff off the uh, of the price and uh, limiting the the budget and uh, which makes everybody involved um, uh, cutting cutting edges uh, of their product or of their services um, and adding uh, more value to it it creates uh, yeah a, actually a sustainable or let's call it a future proof uh, model it's true and it's often what gets forgotten you know like uh, most of the coffee industry is like still like wrestling with paying a proper price and like if you don't pay enough then the kids of the farmers cannot go to school and and yeah. that's like a major worry and and like if the kids can go to school why would you care about the rainforest you know let, let's just chop it down yeah. and we at least have some wood for our for our stove you know yeah. so it, it really starts with uh, like knowing your farmer paying a decent price as an equal entrepreneur and then you can talk about all these amazing projects like agroforestry and exactly yeah those are additives uh, yeah yeah but also essential because like <laughs> at the moment we we don't do this uh, and the, the soil really degrades then we cannot grow coffee and then they don't have an income anymore because it's like oh yeah then maybe they can become another farmer but if you really degrade your soil that bad then nothing grows yeah. um, so it's 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 not it, it is an additive in the way of sequence and first know your farmer pay better and then do ecology but if you don't do it then it can really fuck up the rest of the system as well from the start yeah if if, if you narrow it down or try to simplify it start at the bottom uh, to as you mentioned it you you have to get to know the farmer first and then pay uh, the cost of production, then start with the living income, and then you can add uh, those in. 
Exactly. And there, you cannot do it the other way around. No. That is that is like uh, strangling the the coffee producers even more. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's also like like it's a very costly thing, you know, like to get certified. And we, as this setup, have decided to use that money instead of for actually purchasing these trees and actually making this demo plot and showing what we do and making us accountable and also the farmers accountable so that you can see what is happening. Um, And I think really like certification has done a very good job, you know, like from, from the eighties on, it was so such a blurry world that like certification is good. Um, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing. Let's be clear on that. Yeah, not at all. But I think like we have come a long way, and now like like doesn't really matter where I am if I'm in Indonesia or in, in Tanzania or wherever. Every farmer has this old Android uh, Samsung Galaxy that we used to have in 2014, and it works amazingly still. You know, like like. Yeah. Uh, everyone is WhatsApp. You can make pictures. It's like like we can text the farmers or the corporate leadership or whoever directly and say like, "Hey, can you send me a picture of what's going on at this demo plot?" And we get them back. You know, it's it's really connected, easy yeah. these days. Yeah, nice. So um, that is uh, for Rwanda. There's a lot of um, uh, growing uh, going on there. You also are involved in a specialty robusta project. Yes, 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 yes. And like, and the, like within the specialty the, coffee world, yeah, exactly. Wearing, I guess that's why I wrote this down. Actually, we we spoke about this before, and I know you, so I know the whole involvement of you in this project. Let's not be too formal here. No, no. But um, <laughs> specialty robusta. What uh, what what can you make specialty of uh, a robusta? <laughs> well, that's a little bit like. I think Robusta has like a huge stigma, you know, like it is cheap because it is shit. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's not really how it works. You know, it it, it, it is shit because it is because cheap. it's cheap. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, yeah. Like we, we pay so bad to the farmer that they don't bother. Um, so this setup, we've turned this one around a few years ago, and it's really like we're now picking the fruits of that. It's like, what if you just say to these farmers, like, you have specialty Arabica, and you know how to do this, pick your Robusta and treat it exactly the same. And then we watch, like, what happens. And what happens is, like, these, these Robusta tastes uh, notes like uh, tar and asphalt and, and, and cigarettes Rubber. and whatever you, you taste normally in a Robusta which, which really makes you almost vomit, those disappear and those go away. And, and what you are being left with is like uh, deep chocolates, nuts, uh, more like the woody. Um, for some people also like some uh, dry tobacco because like the smell of dry tobacco can be quite nice. Um, and what we see with that is that there is a clear market for this, um, especially like like the conservative coffee drinkers, let's call them like that, like in, in Southern Europe. Um, and also in the Netherlands and Germany, Belgium, you name them. Um, they are used to this classical coffee flavor and yeah. they're not waiting or they're not really wanting to taste like jasmine and lemon hints you know or hibiscus yeah. they they want to have like what they call no citric coffee. notes uh, please yeah 
<laughs> exactly. And, and, and this is what we, we have been developing in Indonesia for a few years now. Um, we now have a specialty robusta coming in from, Indo- from India. Uh, we're working on it in Thailand. Uh, that's coffee you know very well, Jeroen. Um, and yep. like yeah, from that, cognac. higher yep. than, than we expected. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I think it's, um, uh, it's got a really nice future. Uh, I don't know, the, the, we went to the producer crossover in Berlin. That lady from India, what was her name again? Do you know Berlini, that? Yes. Yeah, um, uh, she said uh, it's 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 a br- the bright. I can't recall it exactly, but it was it's a bright future for robusta. Um, it is. Robusta has such a recognizable flavor. Uh, I think eighty percent of the, the the consumer or ninety percent of the consumers uh, recognize robusta more than arabica because it's uh, it's always been the cheapest, uh, the shittiest uh, product uh, to fill blends with. The whole supermarket is um, involved with uh, robusta. To compare it with Arabica, it's not by definition that Arabica has a higher quality um, than uh, Robusta. It used to be like that a bit more, but now you can, eh, when you produce Robusta uh, at a higher level, at a specialty coffee standard, it becomes like this whole new product. It opens up uh, a lot more. It opens up uh, possibilities. It, it, it's true that Arabica is way more complex in its flavor profiles, and you can go all directions with it, and Robusta is a bit more limited to that but uh, when it's exactly what you say it's like a lot of people grow up with robusta it's the flavor they're used to yeah uh, and it's also like if you look at it market wise and taste wise and price wise it's all very interesting but for us uh, especially you know, for me personally like sustainability wise it's very interesting because yeah. the name already says it's it's a more robust plant um so yeah true like in times of climate change and it's already happening in some uh, producing countries where you really see the rain seasons changing um the prognosis are that arabica might not survive there uh, yeah. so we need to change and then changing for a high quality fine robusta is a very good idea and that's why we're also starting with this now and not in 20 years when we really have to now is the time to start learning about it and start experimenting and what is this all about and what is a natural robusta tasting compared to a washed robusta you know yeah yeah exactly you know the 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 funny part is uh the way I personally use a specialty Robusta, I would never use a Robusta in any one of my blends because I know it is not being produced uh, on quality. It's a filler. And so if if more than 20, 25% of your blend uh, contains Robusta, it's to uh, lower production cost, uh, to, to increase margins, to increase profits. But I'm noticing that uh, using this specialty Robusta uh, from Tawat Konyak, Heneng um, from Thailand, uh, in my blends, uh, the flow blend um, it enables me to communicate to a broader audience if i would uh, continue on uh, rwandese coffees ethiopian coffees uh, just a, a brazil m- might make a nice fit as well but the robusta recognition of the traditional coffee drinker is huge and people love it uh, directly they recognize the the quality and from there uh, it is interesting to take them on the on a journey through coffee. For me, the specialty robusta works like a hook. 
to hook people in and then uh, take them uh, take them along it does and it's 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 a shame that like the specialty coffee scene has still has such a stigma towards it and uh, like last year we did a robusta cupping and it's really like that's how we framed it but there are some robustas and if you don't tell it you won't notice it it tastes very much like a classical arabica from south america so it's like maybe next time when we're doing like a, when when Corona allows it again to give a public cupping, we might just put a robusta in the middle and don't tell anyone and let's see who picks it up. You know, yeah. like that is how good robusta can be, and I think a lot of coffee roasters and coffee drinkers don't know this. So um, off to uh, a different subject: the Circular Coffee Collective. Because mm-hmm. uh, of course you you, uh, you do a lot for this setup for the last uh, two years it is two and a half years something yep. like that been involved with this setup already for five years but like <laughs> the real work hours are like the last two years indeed uh, two and a half years yeah, yeah. Uh, and in the meantime you also started uh, the Circular Coffee Collective um, what is that <laughs> please tell me <laughs> well as the name already kind of says it it's a collective of companies and it's really based on two things one thing is like um i really believe that the circular economy is the future it's like we cannot keep throwing things away you know and just keep incinerating it and landfilling it and like like i use use like a paper cup for for 10 minutes and then throw it away and then think we're doing a good job because we're throwing it in the paper bin you know we still cut a tree and we still went to the factory it's still got transported to the coffee shop and then you use for 10 minutes and then it needs to be incinerated or whatever happens to it you know so yeah. this kind of approach, uh, I think we really need to be aware of. And when you take a circular economy approach, you cannot only look at the last part here at the coffee consuming side. You cannot say like, hey, we're doing something cool with our coffee sludge. You know, we make an espresso, then we have this sludge left and now oh, let's make a cup out of that. That's cool, but that doesn't do shit if you chop away the rainforest of that particular coffee. You know, you have to look at it at the entire value chain. Yeah. So that was one of the motivations. And the other motivation is like, if you're gonna embark like the entire coffee value chain uh, on this journey of becoming more sustainable, you have to look at where they really consume it. And basically that's offices. You know, the most coffee is being consumed at offices. It's a bit less now, of course, because of Corona, but basically yeah. like like these government contracts and all these kind of big uh, like central business districts, you know, people drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. And if you then deliver coffee to a, comp- to a company or an institution like that, you need to deliver not only coffee, you also need to do machines, you need to do the hot chocolate, you need to do the tea, you need to do the sugar, you need to do the cups, you need to do everything. Yeah. And to me, it didn't make sense at all to only deliver the finest, honest, uh, best, most sustainable coffee and then have slavery chocolate next to it, you know. So that's what originated this collective of most sustainable companies here in the Netherlands and Belgium to jointly uh, take up this challenge and to uh, basically join forces. 
and and with that we can really make a fist against like the classical coffee companies that really are focused on price and uh, don't really care about their value chains. Actually, the same as you did for the Dutch government. It is. It is. You got yeah. currently that model exactly. It's basically yeah. really like like connecting the farmer to, in this case, the Dutch government, which which has like a lot of offices, um, and like really trying to get more and more on board and for this particular contract like the coffee part was done amazingly like sustainable uh, sustainable and like with a minimum price etc etc and in the future yeah. i'd really like to see this happening for the hot chocolate as well and for the tea as well and for yeah. all and these things you know like it's yeah, every, everything uh, that, that you can uh, take in your account in your um, uh, portfolio to be a, it, it, it needs to be future proof it needs to be sustainable yeah on all accounts and in the entire value chain not only like for the show but really doing it yeah exactly yeah you carry responsibility in that yeah and it's not, it's, not just a story that you want to sell yeah exactly it's not marketing it's it's you're really doing it um uh, it's let's face it it's, it's not easy it's, no, to be honest that that is marketing uh, you you take a product and you make it better and you carry responsibility in every step of making it better and you take accountability uh, for for all the steps and that actually uh, is marketing yeah you can use it as marketing like uh, as long as you don't do it the other way around <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like 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 doing one small thing and then like screaming uh, like how, how good you're doing about this one particular thing it's yeah. like and, and this is what i also tried to to really like repeat always it's like i never claim to be circular and what we do is not circular because it's a journey it's it's incredibly difficult to manage to close all loops you know to don't have any waste yeah. Um, it's a direction yeah it is and it's like really say like okay this is where we're going and this also includes regenerative uh, agriculture in rwanda for example because you are closing loops there because we are doing this uh system like these 11 hectares that we talked about you, you need less pesticides and you get cleaner wastewater and you know yeah. like you get less you waste create a, a more complex system of smaller circular systems instead of uh, uh, two large circular systems because if you quantify uh, eventually everything is a circle uh, but uh, the the neglected circles will bite you uh, <laughs> right in the butt very much and it, it, <laughs> To yeah. me, some people ask, like, oh, are you then sending all the coffee sludge back to Rwanda? And I think, like, like no, uh, that's that's maybe someday. But, like, this is not really where we should be focusing so that, right now. Yeah, that, that would make a nice story that people probably would, uh, would buy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, can you imagine how much, like, all these wets? Uh, that is, yeah, that is inefficient, yeah. It costs a lot of CO2 as well. It's like, really, are we really going to exactly. do this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting, super interesting. You told me a little bit about this setup, uh, a little bit about uh, your uh, project, the Circular Coffee Collective. Um, both of the projects, uh, I believe you're doing a great job and I think it's important work that you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but where did it start? So 
<laughs> you mentioned uh, Tanzania. I did mention Tanzania. So, what about Tanzania? What happened in Tanzania? And it's kind of strange. There's more people that have have been to Tanzania that from there started their journey into coffee or into Very their much. sustainable practices. What, what is it? Uh, You've talked to Sarah as well on one of your former podcasts. And her yeah, Sarah, and, uh, Leonard that. started in Tanzania. Um, uh, Sebastian Smink, I think you know him from uh, Beanie yeah. Coffee, started uh, something in Tanzania. And also the founder of this startup, Leonard Clerks. So his journey started in Tanzania. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it, so let's, let's go back uh, a few years. It's, so this bachelor that you mentioned, like in development studies, uh, yeah. that I did it at the University of Oslo in Norway. And then I did my research on if direct trade, uh, coffee trade, is better than fair trade certified coffee trade um, from the perspective of a farmer. Because often we find as the consumers, we have all kinds of opinions about it. But I went, I went down there to ask the farmers, like, do you care? Like, like what do you think about this? Uh, and that's that's also how I became involved with this setup, which is quite a funny story, because back then I lived in Oslo, and then I went to the local coffee traders there to one of their cuppings, and I said, like, hey, do you have coffee from Tanzania? And he was like, hey, you should talk to my Canadian colleague. She might know someone. And then I talked to her, and then she said, oh, I have this girl you should talk to. She's from South Africa, but she lives in Burundi. And then she was like, oh, no, you should talk to this girl in uh, in New York, and, and she has like ties to this coffee community in Tanzania because she her, her mother, I believe, is from there. And then she told me like, "Hey, you should talk to Leonard Clerks, who's the founder of this setup, because he actually imports this coffee." So that's how I became like involved with this setup. Uh, so like a travel around the world. Um, but yeah, in Tanzania, it's where it all started, and from there, it really started snowballing. Yeah, nice. Hey, but what is it? Uh, what is the main reason you do the things you do? I think it's really like to stimulate and motivate people that like buying sustainable coffee is not that difficult. And there are a few things you can really look for. And like recently, I gave an interview that they wrote a good article about this in Nederland Futsalland. And it's like, uh, it starts with like looking at the backside of the package. And like, if you look at the package and you have to look for the roasting date, you know, like that really says like, it's a start. It's like coffee you can keep for forever, but it's really like the roasting date. And then you have around, let's say, maximum of 12 weeks. And then afterwards, really, the quality starts to degrade. So you want to know when it's roasted, and then you can count from there. Um, how long you can keep something is not really, the best before date is not really important. And then whilst you're looking at a coffee package, you basically want to find as much detail uh, about the farmers uh, as you can. So if they say like, okay, this coffee comes from South America and is 100% Arabica, yeah, that doesn't mean shit, you know? Um, it's like the more detail about the cooperative or about the individual farmer, the better. Yeah, fully agree on that. What that means, and people don't really realize what that means, is that it's the lowest of the lowest of the auction, what they bought. And you don't really know when they bought it either. This this can be bought in like 2003 when the price was low, or you don't know. Uh, and that's that's where it gets really tricky, and especially in these times where everything is sustainable and where everyone claims that it's the best and it's 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 direct trade, it's organic, it's whatever. 
um, it's very easy to claim. So as a consumer, you should, you should really track. And the more tools the producer or the coffee brand or whatever gives you, the better. So, um, Marta, what is next? What is your next project? Yeah. No, it's really like... <sighs> Some people ask me, it's like, okay, so when are you done with all your projects? And I, 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 most of the time I answer like, by the time I die, I hope I've come quite a long way. And that's what we should strive for. It's like there is this utopia that we're working towards to. And some of these things are very easily achievable, you know, like regenerative agriculture. We know how to do this. So let's, let's start doing this. So that's a good end. Let's start doing this. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Maarten van Keulen, Maarten van Keulen from This Side Up and the Coffee Circular Coffee Collective. Uh, if you want to find out more about this episode or any other episodes, uh, please visit ikigai.coffee. And I hopefully see you there. Take care and stay healthy.